Good morning, and I need help. For those of you that are 8, 9, 10, 11, or 12 years old, I need an 8-year-old, I need a 9-year-old, I need a 10-year-old, I need an 11-year-old, I need a 12-year-old. Don't delay. Come on. I need one of each. If you're first, you win. No, I'm not calling. I'm just I'm needing you to come. Great. There we go. How old are you? 8. I have an 8-year-old. How old are you? 9. 9. I have a 9-year-old. Luke, how old are you? 11. I have an 8, a 9, and 11. You're 12. Excellent. I have a 12-year-old. So what else do I need? I need a 10-year-old. 10. Right. Excellent. One, two, three, four, five. I need the 8-year-old right here. I need the 9-year-old right here. The 10-year-old right here. The 11-year-old right here. The 12-year-old right here. This is interactive teaching, folks. All right. So uh, my name is Jim Fleming. I am honored to be standing in front of you today. I cannot tell what the kids are doing behind me. So if it's your child or doing something crazy, that's on you, not me. All right. So this morning, I've got an assignment for each one of these kids. Now, it's by age, all right? It's by age. I need you to go find something from the audience, all right? And the audience is going to help, right? Amen. Yes. All right. I need you to find one penny. Go. I need you to find one nickel. Go. I need you to find one dime. Go. I need you to find one quarter. You got a tough job. I need you to find a dollar coin. When you find them, come back. No, no, no. Daryl's not. You got to go find somebody more than Papa Daryl. I mean, that's just, you know. <clears throat> All right, so somebody needs to, if you got, oh, we, we found one. Nice, nice, nice. Now, I just need one. I just need one. So we're going to talk about a concept this morning uh, that I think is incredibly important for Christians to understand, and I'm going to illustrate that by some assignments that I've given the kids this morning. So the title of the sermon in your bulletin is God Math. You see that? You see the God Math? Yes. That's what would fit on the page. Um, that's actually not the whole title. We'll get to that here in just a minute. But the word that I want to talk about this morning is legizomai. Say it with me, legizomai. One more time, legizomai. Great. It means a couple of different things. To inventory, to estimate, conclude, impute, number, reason, reckon. That's a lot. You see that definition section in your hand out there? That's too much to write down. So I kind of condensed all that, and the answer is, Seth, there we go, to account for. That's what I want you to write in your handout, to account for. Now, when you account for something, you typically need an auditor to audit the results of the accounting. So we have an auditor. Miss Jessica, could you come on up? Uh, and I have asked Miss Jessica to audit the results of the children's work. So she's going to make sure that we actually have a penny, a nickel, a dime, a quarter, and a dollar coin. Now, kids, after you show Miss Jessica your coin, I want to make a deal with you. Okay. Because, um, because it's kind of important that we understand what we're really talking about today. I told you before that the title is not really God Math. This is actually the title, Legizomai Imputation and How God Math Impacts Us All. But it was too much. It wouldn't fit in your little bitty bulletin. So I teach a Sunday school class here at the Hickson campus. I cover a full front page and a full back page piece of paper. So one-third of a legal sheet of paper it's cramping my style, all right? So I just figured we'd fix it on the screen. And also, I sent the wrong text to Rachel Samsel when she made the bulletin. So cross off the 425 and write in 521. That's actually the, the correct stopping point that we're going to be at. 
All right, so did, you, did, they, did they find their coins? So the, the, we, have, we have the coins, they have found their coins, this is good. So let's, let's make a deal, you ready? Miss Jessica, how many envelopes do you have? She has five envelopes, and they have what names on them? They have a penny, a nickel, a dime, a quarter, and a dollar, right? So let's make a deal. So here's what I want to do. What I want to do is, oh, y'all, y'all know him? Excellent, good. Uh, y'all, y'all don't know him, but that's okay. That's all right. I've got a deal for you because I have something in each one of these envelopes that is more valuable than the coin that you are holding in your hand. Now, you don't know this because you went out into the audience on faith that you would find the thing that I've described. And then you, when you found it, you turned around. The Bible word for that is repentance. You turned around and you came back. It was actually a beautiful little picture of the gospel, which I think is kind of cool. Kind of worked that in. However, what's in each one of these envelopes is a lot more, like, trust me, guys, it's a lot more valuable than what you were holding in your hands because I want what's in your hand. I want that, and I'm willing to pay for it. So who wants to make a deal? You want to make a deal? Everybody good? Awesome. Cool. Can you exchange the coins for the envelopes? Excellent. Now, here's the deal. You can't open the envelope right now. Can't do it. Doesn't work. Uh, kind of, sort of, yeah. Uh, but you can't open the envelope right now. You have to wait. Now, waiting up here introduces all sorts of variables that I don't want any part of. So I need you to go back to your parents right now. Don't open the envelope. Moms and dads, don't let them open the envelope. Are we all clear? This is yes. Don't open the envelopes. Everybody got it? Can you hang on tight for it? Now, for each one of you kids that that has an envelope, you are exempt from taking notes today. Your envelope gets you an item out of the treasure chest too. So don't let go of that envelope and start taking notes. I want you to hold on to that envelope the entire time. Now, did you see the section of scripture that we talked about that we're going to read this morning? Romans 3, 21, all the way to Romans 5, 21. And some of you are going, that's too much. It's not too much, I promise you. I promise you it is not too much. It's a beautiful quote from Anne Voskamp. It says, when there is illiteracy of his word, there's a warped reading of everything. See, we look out into the world and things don't make sense because we don't have our noses in the book enough. So we're going to put our noses in the book a lot today. When there's a daily reading of God, we can read all the crazy of life. Anybody ever experienced any crazy in life? Anybody experienced any crazy in life today? Yes. Read God and you can read life. So the Apostle Paul, I want you to turn to, in your Bibles to Romans 3. If you've got a black pew Bible, that's page 595. If you've got a red pew Bible, Chris Cordes, that's page 1296, because Chris needs the big font. So the Apostle Paul writes the letter to the Romans, and Paul's a lawyer, right? And he's a good lawyer. He's trained in the Old Testament law. And in Romans 1 and 2, Paul introduces this concept of righteousness. And he talks all about God's wrath towards sin and sinners. And in Romans 3.21... He turns a corner. It's a beautiful, beautiful corner. And everything in the book changes. Chapter 3, verse 21. So I'm going to read out of the ESV. Your pew Bibles are the New King James. It's a little bit different, but we're really, really close. So let's take a look. Romans 3, 21 through 5, 21. And I'm going to stop and talk about some of these words. If you're in my Sunday school class, you're used to this. If you're not, it's going to feel like theological whiplash. Tough. (laughs) Verse 21. But... Now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through 
Anybody know what that word through is? In the Greek, it's the word dia, D-I-A. And on the screen is an example of dia. Now, I'm a math guy. I have a degree in mathematics. So when you hear me speak, you're going to hear something mathematically oriented. For those of you that cringed in math in high school, I hate it for you. We'll be over in about 20 minutes. It'll be all right. This line running through the center of that circle is called the what? How you paid attention in high school. Yes. Your geometry teacher would be proud. It's called the diameter, the D-I-A, through the center. Now, next slide. Is that the diameter? It's, but it's close. It's like really, really, but it's not the diameter, is it? It's got to go through the center, Seth. It's got to go through the center to be the diameter. So let's look at this, where this word is used. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. See, God's plan for the redemption of the entire universe runs straight through Jesus. It doesn't get close to Jesus. It doesn't go around you. It is straight through Jesus. For all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned or missed the mark, and they fall short. The the word literally means to be later. In a race, you're later. What happens if you're later than the winner in a race? You're the loser. Yes, all right? So, for all have sinned. For, For there is no distinction This is for everybody who missed the mark and is a loser. Hi, my name's Jim. I've missed the mark and I'm a loser. Don, you missed the mark, you're a loser too? You know what that means? We're eligible. Yes. This is good. This is good. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified or declared righteous by His grace as a gift through the redemption or ransom that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show or to declare God's righteousness because in his design forbearance or self-restraint, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we logizomai, We hold, we count that one is justified by faith apart or separately from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. This is where we say amen. Because we are the Gentiles. Because Paul is making an argument to Jews and he's saying, is it just for you? And the Jewish person at this time would want to say, yeah, it's just for me. And Paul says, No, 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 no. It's for Gentiles also. We get in. Yes, of Gentiles also. Verse 30, since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. For what shall we say was gained by Abraham? Now, some of you have never done what I just did. We're going to continue reading past the chapter into the next chapter. That's allowed, okay? And encourage. So, verse 1. For what shall we say by, was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was legitimized to him as righteousness. Because God saw Abraham's belief, and God counted that belief as righteousness. I saw each one of those kids' coins, and I counted that worth, that envelope. Same concept. We're making a trade here. Verse 4. 
Now to the one who works, his wages are not legitimized as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but receives, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is legitimized as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God legitimizes righteousness apart from the, law, the works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. The word for forgiven here means to be gone, means to be sent aside. And we sang a song this morning that talks about what that sinful deeds, where those sinful deeds went. Where did those sinful deeds go? Where'd they go? They went to Jesus. When? When he was dying on the cross. This is why it was such a painful death. It wasn't just the physical. It was literally the sins of the world. Parts of the Bible talks about it being poured out onto him. God's wrath was poured out onto Christ. Whose lawless deeds are forgiven. And whose sins are covered. This is for us. Blessed is the man against the Lord, whom the Lord will not count his sin. There's a double negative in the Greek here. It said, I will not, I will not count his sin because his sin was poured out on Christ and it has been dealt with. Is that amazing or what? It's been dealt with. We don't have to deal with the punishment of our sin because Jesus dealt with it for us. Are you dead? We don't have to deal with the punishment of our sin because Jesus dealt with it for us. Wow. I, I don't have any better news for you today than that. And if that doesn't stir your heart, then I'm going to ask you to repent and believe the gospel. Verse 9. Oh, yeah, we're going to shuck the corn this morning. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was legitimized to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it legitimized to him? Was it before or after he'd been circumcised? We're asking, is this works or not works? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted, legitimized to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Now, there's something I want to make sure that you understand here. When we are justified, when, when God bangs the gavel of, of judgment and it says not guilty, God does not at that point make us righteous. He declares us to be righteous. And if God says it, it is true. And when he bangs the gavel of justification and he says, you are righteous, at that point, he begins the process of making us righteous. And he will drag his children through all kinds of things to finish that work. And he will not quit until he's done. He is a relentlessly passionate God. And when he starts it, he will finish it. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And one thing that I have learned from reading the scriptures is that these passages and these stories and these accounts that we learn about over and over and over in the Bible, as we move from book to book to book and move through the passages of scripture, God is telling a much bigger story, a much bigger story. And there's a video that I want you to watch that explains just a little bit of this and talks about an example of one of them.
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Symbols, shadows, parables. Sometimes this is about that. Flowers are about love. Signatures are about promises. Fireworks are about celebrations. Poppies are about war. And marriage is about the Christian gospel. This mystery is profound, says Paul, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So the wedding begins with the groom waiting at the front. He has pursued his bride and won her, and now he just has to wait. And when she eventually comes in, the whole room stands and stares at her beauty, her immaculate dress, pure and white and spotless. She gets presented to him and they declare that they have no other partners. They hold hands. They make promises to have and to hold for better, for worse, forsaking all others as long as we both shall live. They exchange rings, signs of the covenant promises they have just made. They sign their names and make their vows legal. Then, as the ceremony concludes, they walk back out again, united as one. Everything he has is hers, and everything she has is his. Everybody celebrates with a meal. Later, they will express their physical union and share all of their possessions. She even takes on his name. Two have become one, and all this is about that. Jesus has made his people ready. His death for our sins has made us beautiful, pure, white, and spotless. We are given to him and to nobody else. We make promises to each other. Never will I leave you or abandon you, says Jesus, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. And we reply to him, I will forsake all other gods as long as we both shall live. There is an exchange of gifts. God gives us his spirit. There is a legal declaration. God says we are righteous in his sight. And we walk on, united as one. Everything he has, his love, his power, his goodness, becomes ours. And everything we have, our sin, our shame, our past, becomes his. Everybody celebrates with a meal, bread and wine. We express our physical union through baptism in water. We give him access to all our possessions. We even take on his name and his identity. We become Christians. Two have become one. This is about that. Sometimes when you put things to music and you have someone with an English accent saying, it's just more powerful. <laughs> I love that. All right, on your handout, there is a section that talks about God math examples. And I want to give you three that are in the Bible real quick. The first is the Trinity. And God math, again, is this idea that things may not add up just exactly like you think they do. Because in the Trinity, we have one person in God the Father, one person in God the Son, one person in God the Spirit, and that equals how many gods? One. So one plus one plus one equals one. Another example is marriage. We have two different people coming together to be how many flesh? One flesh. Isn't that amazing? Now, I have a degree in mathematics. 
in one of my 400-level college math classes, we had a proof. And I kid you not, it was to prove that 1 plus 1 equals 2. And it is shockingly more difficult to do than you would think. Now, some of you are going, not really, Jim. You just have two fingers, and then you count them, and you got two. This breaks all of that. It's spectacular. And the third one I want you to notice is the church. Because what is the church? What are we? We are a collection of individuals that have been joined together to create how many bodies? One body. Isn't that beautiful? We have one God, one flesh, one body. This is God math. And we look at it and we go, but Jim, that didn't really make sense. Sure it does. Because explaining God as if he were one of us, that's not as cool. It's not as amazing. It's not as awe-inspiring. Explaining marriage as two separate people just doing life together doesn't feel like a lot of commitment there. And explaining church as I can go be the, the body of Christ on my own, no, I can't, not at all. I need you. And as goofy as it sounds, you need me. This is the way this works. I didn't design it. God declared it to be true, and so it is. So let's pick back up in Romans 4, verse 13. Let's look at some more legizomai. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is adherents of the law who are to become the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings or fashions wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That's why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who's the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Is that not what our God does? He looked at a 100-year-old Abraham and a 90-year-old Sarah and said, I will call life into existence from death. And every one of us who have experienced salvation, this is exactly what God does. He looks into the death of our sin, and he calls out life. And a new thing is formed. And it is beautiful. It is beautiful. Verse 18. In hope, this Abraham, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. So if you're a hundred, I hate I hate to tell you this, but Paul thinks you're as good as dead when you're 100. Like That's harsh, but this is Paul, not me. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. These stories, these accounts in the Old Testament are for us. It wasn't just for them. Isn't that beautiful? When God was working through Abraham and Sarah's lives, he was thinking about us and how this applies to us. That's amazing. It's absolutely incredible. In him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. Watch me. 
When things are not at peace, they are separate. This word means to bring together, to join together, to be one, distinct to one. Therefore, since having been justified by faith, we have peace with who? With God. Through who? Dia through. Through Jesus Christ. That's exactly right. Through Him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. God poured His wrath on Jesus Christ. He pours His hope into our hearts. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows. The word here is to exhibit. You ever been to an exhibition, an art gallery? You ever been to an exhibition where an artist displays their works? Do they display the worst things that they've done? No, they throw those away, right? That's, that's in the back. We don't, we don't get there. I'm going to display the best of the best. That's what this word is. The exhibit. But God exhibits his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The best move, the best exhibition that God has is the exhibition of Jesus Christ's death for us. That's his best move. And he's made it. Verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And more than that, we shall also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. And here's the last therefore of our text. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread or pierced or walked around to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted. It's not legitimized, but it's really close. Where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded, or been excess for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. That one man's sin is Adam. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, another way to translate that word is inattention. For by one man's inattention were the many made sinners, so by the one man's obedience or attentiveness, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased... Grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Kids, do you still have your envelopes? Yes, do not open your envelopes. Go find the person that gave you the coin and stand next to them. Go, 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 go. Find the person that gave you the coin and go stand next to them. All right, I've got one, I've got two. I've got, come on, Luke, where are you, where are you going? Just 
popped up. All right, three. I've got four, and I've got five. Excellent. I want you to open your envelopes. Open your envelopes. I want you to shout out what you find inside. Shout out loud. Come on, come on, come on. I told you it was better. How much? 22. 22 what? $22. You got 22? You got 20? You, how much you got? 22? It didn't sound exciting. Like $22. Come on. You're like, what? Nine? I mean, good gracious. You got 22. How much you got? All right. Here's what I want you to do with the 22. I want you to take the $2 and I want you to give it to the person that got, gave you the coin. Everybody gets a good deal in this one. I want you to take the $20 bill, and I want you to put it in your pocket. Go have a seat. What did we do? What did we do? What did we do? I said those coins were worth more to me than what they were actually worth. And what does God do for us? He looks at us, a dirty, old, broken-down penny, and he says, that's worth more. I will trade for that. But see, we've got to talk about how we got into that problem. And this is the God's accepted accounting principles. That's an accounting joke for those of you that are not accounting. So the first example here is Adam. When Adam sinned, we are all guilty. And you might say, well, Jim, that doesn't sound fair. I don't care. God said, when Adam sinned, we all sinned. When Adam ate the fruit, we sinned right there with him having not yet been formed. And you go, well, I don't, like, I don't, that's not fair. Just hang on. Hold your fair question for just a second. Number two, sin to Jesus. God put the sin of the world on Jesus Christ. Let's talk about fair now. Right? You want to bring up fair? I want to bring up fair. And then number three, and this is the beautiful thing, is that because Jesus sacrificed forgave our sins that wiped the slate clean but we got something else there too we got the righteousness of jesus christ we got the righteousness of jesus christ applied to our account so righteousness to all believers which is absolutely incredible so some of you need to see gap visualized so here's a picture of it so adam's at the fall jesus at the cross we're sinful and unrighteous before god this is the negative when we are forgiven, we're morally neutral at that point. But God doesn't stop there. Because relationship with God for eternity is not based on moral neutrality. And this is why when you meet somebody and they say, well, I've never sinned, that's not good enough. The standard is higher than no sin. The standard is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You have to demonstrate before God that you have the righteousness of Jesus Christ to inherit heaven. And I can't do that on my own. And isn't it, isn't it beautiful how gracious of God He supplies to us what He demands from us? Isn't that beautiful? He supplies to us what He demands from us. So there's some implications from this, and then we'll end. So the implication number one is that we're all guilty. We are all guilty. Everybody in here, guilty. Kids that just got the envelopes, guilty. Adults who gave them the coins, guilty. Hi, my name's Jim. I'm guilty. So what's the, what's the now what do I do with that? Well, I repent, right? Guilty people need to repent. Implication number two, I'm helpless. I'm a dead man. In my sin, 
Dead people are helpless. We just read a lot about working. Dead people don't show up to work. If they do, don't work there. <laughs> right? Go find somewhere else to work. If you got Now, Doug, where do you work? At the cemetery, right. If dead people start helping you, get out, brother. <laughs> like, go somewhere else, right? Dead people are helpless. So what do helpless people do? I believe. I believe. And this is not a complicated message this morning. This is repentance and belief. And another implication of this, and we've already talked about it, is this is unfair. This is absolutely unfair. For me to be guilty because of something Adam did is completely unfair. But that's unfair for one person, for just me. For what happened to Jesus, that's unfair to God. And in God math, God says, that's how I count things. I count things according to what Jesus has done. So what do we do with that, church? What do we do with the fact that it was unfair for Jesus? We rejoice and we celebrate because we get to experience life and relationship with the Lord and Master and Creator of the universe because of what Jesus Christ did for us. And that, my friends, is how legizomai, imputation, and how God math impacts us all.